The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Today's scripture will be out of 1 Peter 3, 1-6. It'll be on the screen behind me. And then if you're looking in the Bibles under your chairs, it's in page 10, 15. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to read. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This has been a reading of God's word. Well, here's what I've been thinking about this past couple of weeks as I've been thinking about this text. I think about womanhood in general is, man, it's, it's got to be hard to be a woman. This isn't pandering to you ladies on a, on a Mother's Day morning, but like, seriously, it has to be, it can't be easy to be a woman for any number of reasons. Uh, inclu- and we don't even have time to touch on them all this morning, but, but including the fact that you're sort of like, by society and maybe an internal pressure, but certainly an external pressure of society and culture, you're, you're almost kind of forced to pick, like, which lane are you going to run in? Are you going to be career woman? Are you going to be family woman? Or are you going to be, like, sexy, beautiful woman, right? Because it, it often feels like those things can't, sometimes it feels like those things can't can't meet together. Like, you either got to be career woman or family woman or beautiful, sexy woman. But then there's this, like, on top of that, like, having to ch- pick which, like, which lane am I going to run in, then there's this sort of added pressure recently that's, that's, or that's been sort of like society has said, hey, uh, you don't have to pick. You can do all of those together. Just lean in, work harder, produce harder. You can be beautiful and sexy and a mom and a career woman, and you can nail, you can ring every single one of those bells. You can hit it all out of the park if you just work harder and swing harder and lean into it. And then there's this pressure on you like, man, if I'm not able to do all these, what does it say about me? Because really what the pressure that, we, that you ladies feel and all of us, because it's, it's really this feel to, to feel valuable and to feel cherished, to feel like I'm worth something. There's this sort of pressure that says like, hey, I'm going to determine my value and my worth by being an excellent career woman or being a family woman or being a, a beauty and, or I'm going to try to do it all at once. And there's this all this like a, a roller coaster that you're, that you're on of feeling up and down according to how well you're doing in each of those lanes or whichever lane that you pick. Because, it's, it's, because not only is it hard for every person, every person wants to feel valuable and cherished. Every person wants to feel like they are, they, that their life means something, their life counts for something. But then it's even harder for you ladies because you have, if you choose like career path, there's the wage gap. Right, you can't. It's hard for you to make what your uh, your coworker makes just because he happens to be a dude. 
or there's this sort of feeling, hey, I, I've chosen, I'm a mom, and I love this thing, and maybe I still have a job, like whatever, like whatever that looks like for you, like I've had this mom, but, but man, sometimes it's, isn't being a mom like just one of the most unappreciative jobs there is? Like I try, you know, it's a work day for me on Sunday, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and I try to help my kids to make it something special for my wife and to make it special for my mom, but it's really difficult to do, and the irony of the whole thing is that my wife, is part of what makes it so busy at our house is she's one of the people who are organizing the Mother's Day appreciation for the mothers. So the mother in my house is putting together the Mother's Day appreciation for herself and you ladies. And a lot of times that's what it's like. That, yeah, but a lot of times that's what it's like for you ladies, right? Like you, like, uh, uh, yeah, it's just, I can have stories, but I'm not gonna just pile on. But like, like it's difficult because you, like, it's hard for you to feel appreciated as a mom for all that you put into what it takes to be a mom. And you also feel this pressure to be like beautiful and attractive and sexy. And that can be a challenge, right? Because depending on what age that you are in this room, if you've realized it yet or not, uh, no matter where you are, where you think you are in the, in the whole realm of beauty, at some point you reach your zenith of physical beauty and then you're like, you're like chasing foxes after that. Like, it's, it's not, like you, can't quite, you can't quite catch it again. Things start to droop and sag and things start to look different. Like you're trying to chase the, the wrinkles and you can't quite catch them. You're trying to keep the curves in place where they won't quite curve where they used to curve anymore. And as hard as you work, as, as much as, as beautiful as you think you might be, it, it, man, it just, you just can't quite get there. And even in the zenith of your, your beautiful power, the power of your, how pretty you are and how beautiful you are, like, this is a thing that women deal with that's hard for us to re- relate with as guys. You're out with your man, and you're sitting there, you're all dolled up, and you look beautiful, and you feel beautiful, and you sit down with him, and it's a wonderful setting, and then you look over a couple tables over, and there's a woman that you think is more beautiful than you, and all of a sudden, your whole night's ruined. It's hard. It's difficult to be a woman we want to feel, you want to feel valuable, you want to feel cherished, which we all want to do, but it's even harder, I think, for a woman. Now, the Peter is writing this passage, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6, and I don't know how that, that hits you whenever we read through this passage at first if you're a woman. I don't know how that, how that kind of sits with you. If you're like, man, that's kind of a bummer to hear this morning. Man, I disagree with that. I don't know how I feel about that. Is that outdated? Is, what is that saying about who I am and my value as a woman? But here is what we're gonna, I think we're going to see is the purpose and the, of the, the meaning behind this passage this morning. Peter is actually talking about the value and the power that a godly woman has. He's saying that a a godly woman has a value and has a power and actually has a, a beauty that surpasses anything that any any other external value that you would try to determine your value and your power and your beauty with. So let's look at this text this morning. We're going to ask three questions of the text, all right? First of all, we're going to ask, what does it mean to be a godly woman? So if if Peter is saying a godly woman has great value and has great power, what does it mean to be a godly woman? Secondly, in what way is she powerful, this, this godly woman? In what way is a godly woman powerful? And thirdly, how is she rewarded? How is a godly woman 
rewarded. Who is or what does it mean to be a godly woman? In what ways is a godly woman powerful? And thirdly, in what ways is she rewarded? First up, what does it mean to be a godly woman? Well, as Peter is going into this passage, he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, before we even get there, we have to get this, what Peter is saying here in the context of this book and this letter that he's writing, in fact, in the context of the whole Bible. Now, now Peter is writing this passage to godly women, but he is He's writing so from an idea like of what the idea of the value of a woman is. In Genesis 1, 26 through 27, God is the, the account of how God created man and woman. And it says that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is a key, a key passage in the Bible. And let them... Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So what God is saying is I'm creating man, mankind to have dominion or to have a special place in my creation. He will have dominion or he will have authority over every single other animal in creation. In fact, he says that not only is he, is he gonna have authority over them, but he's gonna have so because he says, I'm gonna make man in my image. And the picture there is, what the, is this phrase called the imago Dei, or is the picture is that there's this thumbprint or there's this reflection upon mankind. Every single man and every single woman, there's a reflection of God's nature and character uniquely reflected in mankind in general. And then I would even say in particular, uniquely reflected in the particular way Way that he has made you, the talents and abilities that God has given you, your own natural proclivities and personality, and even your gender. That in the, ingrained inside you is a, an image of God, is a way that you reflect the nature and character of God. It's just a reflection, but it is a reflection of the nature and character of God. And this is key. Look at the next thing. So God, I say, look, you're not, probably not turned there, but so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here's the truth, ladies and men. God created you, male and or female, however he created you, in, in, in a very particular, positive, unique way, it, your gender and your personality and gifts and talents, but your gender reflects a part of the nature and character of God. God didn't create Adam and say, oh, Adam is the zenith of my creation, and I'm gonna create somebody who is lower than him who will reflect Adam, but Adam reflects me. He says, male and female, they reflect the nature and character of God. There's something inherent in the, in the male gender that reflects the nature and character of God, but there's also something unique in the female gender that reflects the nature and character of God. There's some of these, like, we're, 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 we are, God is called, uh, he's referred to in the masculine all throughout scripture, that's how we should refer to God, but there's the unique illustrations in the middle of that that kind of stand out where God, the, the, the phraseology about God, it's not what we would normally associate with the masculine. God is God is pictured as a hen who is brooding over her chicks and holding her underneath his wings and keeping them safe. 
There's another place where, where God is reflected as the one who he's like, he has a, a care for his children, for us, like a nursing mother has a care for her children. God is, we refer to him as in the masculine, but God, but there is both inside the way that he reflects his nature and character to us, the masculine and the feminine in the way that he showcases it to us. Your feminine nature reflects a part of the nature and character of God in a, in a very unique way. You are made in the image of God. And as such, you reflect that unique nature and character in a way that cannot be denied. It takes both male and female to show the nature and character of God to the people around us. If you, what does it mean to be a godly woman? It means that you are exceedingly valuable because you are made in the image of God. But it also means that you are exceedingly valuable because you are of the highest standing in the universe. If you are a woman and you are a, a child of God, you have, the, you have the highest standing in the universe. And a little bit after our passage here, after Peter addresses the wives, he addresses the husbands, and he says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. He is saying that both male and female are heirs with, later on he says in another passage, we're told that we are co-heirs with Christ. You are an equal heir as a female as any male is as a child of God. You are an heir of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. That means that nobody, no being has a higher standing in the universe than you do as a daughter of God. You have unique standing. In Galatians 3.28, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No male has higher standing than a female in the kingdom of God. No male has a higher standing in the, in the family of God than a female. No son has a higher standing than a daughter in the family of God. And yet, even though you have, as a woman, a godly woman, as a woman created in the image of God and redeemed by Christ and of exceedingly great value in the sight of your father, yet there's this pull, this pressure that is both external and internal to find value elsewhere. There's this pressure from the, the culture and society around us that echoes an internal pressure inside you that, that says you need to find your value elsewhere. One of those echoes that says achieve. It says if you as a woman, if you just were to achieve whatever it is that you think you need to achieve, if you would achieve that place in your business or that place in your career, if you were to achieve a certain earning, uh, earning level, if you were to achieve, uh, if you were to, to get that diploma or that degree, if you were to achieve whatever it is, then then you could find your value. And if so, then you can't let anybody around you hold you back. So you feel this internal pressure and this, you hear this external pressure, you feel this external pressure saying, don't let anybody hold you back because if you just achieve, then you could know that you are of great value. And you know what that's saying? That's saying that your value to society is based upon your earning potential. 
And you as a woman and any person in this room, your value to society, your value to yourself, your value to God is not based upon your earning potential. Your father says your value to me is based upon the incredibly precious blood of Christ that was spilt to make you my daughter. That's what your value is based upon. But yet you also feel this internal pressure and you feel this external pressure that says, man, if you just, man, make your kid's success your success. Make your kid's happiness your happiness. And if you could just make your kids happy, if you could just make them successful, if you could make them to be able to achieve and do the things that you never could do, then you could live vicariously through them and then you could know you are valuable because your kids succeeded and they, your kids did all that you hoped they would do. And so you, you try to set them up for happiness, you try to set them up for success and you build your whole life around making your kids happy. You make your kids successful until one day they leave the house and you look around and they're not there anymore and you wonder, man, where's my value come from? That says to you that your value to society is in the happiness of your family, of the happiness of your children. But you know what? The happiness of your kids is a boat that has a leak in it that you could never fill in. There's another external pressure, an internal pressure that we feel that says, man, just be hot. Be not just beautiful, be sexy. Not just attractive, but actually sexy. Be attractive in a way that other people will look at you and say, man, look how sexy, look how hot she is. It says build those curves, chase those wrinkles. And this is the real meaning behind it. Don't grow old. But some of you ladies in here, you're, you're, you're finding out like, that just doesn't work. That's a boat that has more and more, more holes in it every single day that you just can't keep afloat. And you know what that is telling you? Society and that echo in your own soul is telling you that your value to society, your value is based upon your ability to turn heads. But your father says, your value to me is based upon the precious blood of Christ that was spilt for you to make you, to adopt you as my daughter no one has higher standing with me than you. No one has higher value with, you, with, with me than you. Based upon the work of Christ, I have made you uniquely in my image. I have bought you with a price. You are of precious value to me. A godly woman is exceedingly valued, and a godly woman is made free in Christ. This is a beautiful truth. Earlier in this passage, before in chapter 2, when Peter's kind of sitting up this whole, this whole section where he's talking about how we uh, should respond to authority around us, he says, verse 16, um, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but living as servants of God. If you are a woman, if you are a child of God as a woman, you are free in Christ. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. But then he calls you as a free child of God, not just you as women, 
all of us in different capacities and different ways, he calls you to then take your freedom and use it willingly and lay it down freely as a servant to God. God has made me free. And that I willingly give my life back to him as a servant. That's what God has called you to as a woman. He's made you free in Christ. And yet, and you turn around and you use that freedom, you lay it down at his feet and says, I am yours, I am yours. You tell me what to do and I will do it. I am your servant. And man, isn't that what happens whenever you're converted? When you see Christ in his beauty and you see all that he has done for you, you willingly lay down your life back to him because he laid down his life for you. And you say, man, you can have it all. You see the goodness and the beauty and the glory of God. You see his love and his graciousness to you and you lay it, your life back down to him as a servant of his. But then what Peter is saying now in this passage is, you are a woman, you are of incredible, exceedingly high value. You are made free in Christ, that you responded to him as a servant. And now, he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Here's what the beauty that happens here. Here's what the beautiful thing that this reflects as a godly woman. That whenever he says, Subject yourselves, be subject to your own husbands. And then in verse four, he says, for this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah submitted, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Here's the point of this. You are free in Christ. You are of equal value before God as your husband. Every no, no man, including your husband, has a higher standing before God than you do. But he's saying, he's calling you to freely and voluntarily submit yourself to your husband as if you were submitting yourself to Christ. And do you know why? Because Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, when he's, talk, he's talking about marriage, and he says that it's a great mystery that um, man will leave his father and mother and cleave or cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. And then he says, this is a great mystery, but the mystery I'm referring to is the mystery of Christ and the church. So here's the picture that we're trying to get here. That a godly Christian marriage is called to showcase to the people around us and to our family itself the nature of the relationship between the church and Christ. Christ freely gave himself up for us and we respond back to him in submission as his servants. Now, what that's supposed to reflect in our lives is the husband is called to love the, his wife like Christ loved the church who gave himself up for her. Guys, we're gonna be talking about that next week what kind of sacrificial life he has called us to live as men that reflect the nature and character of Christ, the love and sacrifice of Christ to our wives to showcase what he did for the church. But to you, ladies, he says, and you respond to your husband as the church responds, is called to respond to Christ. You submit yourself to your husband, showcasing the submission of the church to Christ. 
Here's what he's saying here. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Don't, don't miss this. So that even if some do not obey the word. So if you're a woman, if, ladies, if you're married to a man who is not a believer, so that even if some do not obey the word, if they are not a believer, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, wives, I'm not calling you to submit to your husband because he is worthy because he's better than you, because he's greater than you, because he's smarter than you, because he has a higher standing than you. I'm calling you to submit to your husband because that's the order that God set up in the household that reflects the order that God set up with Christ to the church. And you submit to your husband, not because he's awesome and great and smart, you submit to your husband because you're submitting to Christ through your husband. There's this uh, story, I, I, you guys know, may know, I, I love uh, the, the works of C.S. Lewis, and there's this third part in the, his space trilogy. It's kind of a really kind of weird, kind of interesting book, but there's this relationship between this uh, newlywed couple. They're six months into their marriage, and, and he's just, he's a professor at the college, and he's really pursuing his career, and he's just really kind of a jerk to his wife. He's not loving her and caring for her well, and, and she doesn't want to respond to him very well because she knows that he is not loving her and caring for her well. She feels left beside and, and like taken advantage of. And, and in many ways, she kind of is. But as she comes to Christ and is converted, she sees that she's not submitting to her husband, Mark, because he is so awesome. She's submitting to God through Mark because she loves the Lord and she can trust him. And that's what Peter is talking about in this passage. He's saying that by you submitting to your husband, whether he seems to deserve it or not, by you loving him and caring for him well as a wife to her husband, as the church to Christ, that, that, that you are honoring God. And there, that's why he says at the end, if you, you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, he's saying you shouldn't fear your husband, you shouldn't fear the people around you. The only one you should fear is the Lord. You submit to your husband because you're submitting to the Lord. Your trust is in God, not in your husband. That's a picture of a godly woman, and man, I gotta tell you, that's a lot, right? But what ways is she powerful? I said before, like, I think this passage is telling us that the, a godly woman is valuable and that she is powerful. But where do I get that from? Let's read this passage again. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What he's saying is that the life of a woman made in the image of God, life of a godly woman, a daughter of the king, freed and valuable, freely submitting herself to, her, to Christ through her husband, as she grows in grace, the transformation of her character will be so remarkable and so beautiful and so attractive that it will be clearly seen by the people around her and will, it, will not, it can only be attributed to the power of God at work in her lives. He says, your husband who does not believe 
might be converted or won without a word, but even you trying to convince him because he sees your growth in godly character, your growth in willing submission to him, even whenever he does not deserve it. Now, I, want, I just want to pause here and just say I'm this passage, and I am not talking about any kind of situation of, of abuse. That is not what this passage is addressing. Physical harm, uh, even a, a lot of uh, heavy verbal abuse, that is not what this passage is talking about. That is, that is not what he's talking about here. But he is saying that in a, in a normal marriage with a man who is not a believer, who doesn't understand why his wife is professing faith in Christ, that in, in he disbelieves, he is even hostile to the gospel, that over time he may be won to Christ by watching you grow in the conduct of your life, being respectful and pure in your conduct. In verse, later on in verse 4, he talks about having a gentle and quiet spirit, that it'll be clearly seen, and that your husband and others will see how your submission to him is freely given as a daughter of the king, submitting to him, and he will see that, and he will, and it will move his heart. And not only your husband, but if your husband's going to see it, it'll also see that, it's also saying that your children will see it, and your people around you will see it, and that your life, your quiet, godly life in submission to your your God through your husband will be as such that the people around you will see and will come to Christ because of it. It's saying that the result of your submission to God will be an attractive life. It won't be something that people look on the outside and say, man, that looks, that looks terrible, but they say, man, there's something beautiful in the way that this woman is adorning herself with her life. It's also powerful in that it, your, the life of a godly woman quietly subverts misunderstandings that people have about gender. Uh, the life of a godly woman, the way that she submits to God through her husband and loves her husband well and loves her family well and finds her value in God and not in external pressures that are pushing in, it says that it, it, it was actually radical even in this day because a, a woman in a Greco-Roman culture was, would never, ever worship another god from her husband. She would never follow another religion than her husband. In fact, the, the Greco-Roman society said a, a, that an ideal woman, an ideal wife, would not have friends other than her husband's friends. She would stay home. She'd be indoors most of the time, and she, her husband and her family would practically be her world, and the only friends that she would have would be the friends that her husband have, and the only religion that she would follow would be the religion that her husband followed. Now, Peter is writing to women who are worshiping other gods than her, their husband's gods, and he's saying, man, you do not have to follow your husband and worshiping his worthless idols, but he is saying, but yet... Submit and love him well, even when he is worshiping a false god and false idols. And he's going the other way. And that by you doing so, people around you will look and see, man, what is going on here? Because she is neither being rebellious and trying to overthrow her husband, but neither is she being like subjugated by her husband. 
Here's one thing that this passage and the next passage to husbands and no passage of the New Testament says about the relationship of husbands and wives. It does call wives to submit to husbands, but it never says for husbands to force their wives to submit to them. The submission of a godly woman is freely given as a daughter of the king to her heavenly father through her husband. And that free, voluntary, loving, gracious submission to him stands out where there are these two sides in our society, this chauvinistic side saying that really wants to say both in the church and outside the church that says women are less than and they should be held down below men. And this sort of like classic feminist movement that says, no, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be feel tied down to your husband or your family in any way, you should be free from any external pressure upon you. The life of a godly woman says, I am free in Christ and yet I voluntarily submit myself and live as a servant of God and I submit to my husband and I live as a servant of God to my family and those around me. It's not subjugation nor false freedom it is a submission freely offered by a daughter of the king. And P Peter is saying that is powerful. It declares to our spouses and our children and our neighbors and our coworkers a different kind of life than they see around them. A godly woman, what does it mean to be a godly woman? She's valuable. She's free in Christ, a servant of God. In what ways is she powerful? When people see the transformation in her of Christ-like character, it showcases the nature and character of God in a new, unique way. And then how is she rewarded? Look at verse four. Before that, he says, don't let the adorning, you're adorning the external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing that you wear. Don't let that determine your beauty. Verse four, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. That wording there, precious, is a financial term. And it means like great worth or value. And, and here's what it says. It says, you know, all of us are trying to find, to, to build lives of, of real value and meaning. And you as a, each of us, each of us are, are pull, pulled in that direction. And you as a woman are pulled to find value in each of these different kind of lanes that we've talked about. But he says that if you follow after him as a godly woman, submitting your life to him as a servant of all and submitting your, to your husband and loving him well and your family well, he's saying that to you, to him, your life is of great worth and great value. It is precious to God. You know how precious it is to God? We'll, we'll really cover it more next week, but it says it's, it's precious to God because in verse seven, he tells the men that if they are mistreating the da these daughters of God that they are married to, that the, their heavenly father won't even hear the prayers of men and husbands who mistreat the daughters of God. 
your life is of incredible value and worth to God. But then it also says, let your adorning be in the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. You know what he's saying? He's saying, though your body may change and the wrinkles may appear, though curves may move from one place to another place, that a godly woman not only has a value that doesn't fade away, but actually grows in beauty over the years. Some of you guys have been around the church long enough to meet some older women who have lived this kind of life. And if you ever come across one of those ladies and you talk to them, you see like there's like sort of, there's a, there's a beauty that transcends physical attractiveness about them. There's almost a, a regality to the way that they carry themselves and the way that they live their life. You know why? Because they are a princess. They are a daughter of the king. And as they follow after him, their life grows in an imperishable beauty that doesn't fade, that will continually grow as they live. And then one day when they are, are separated from this body and they're present with the Lord, there'll be an imperishable beauty that will, be, that will knock our socks off in Christ. How she rewarded, she is precious to God, she grows in beauty, and she's an heiress in the great family of God. That's what he means when he says, like, if you live this kind of life, you're following after the pattern of Sarah, who was Abraham's wife, who was the, the covenant father of all those who would follow in faith. You know what he's saying? He's saying that your lineage as a woman a godly woman is directly tied all the way back through all the great godly women, all the way back to Sarah. You have a great legacy as a woman of God. There's a great power and a great reward for you. So how do we respond to that? That's kind of cool and it's also kind of heavy, right? I think we respond, first of all, I'm gonna address the guys before I even address the ladies. Guys, how do you treat the women in your life? How do you treat your wife? How do you treat other ladies? Do you see them as daughters of the king of incredible value? Guys, this passage is calling our, our women, if you're married, to submit and love us well no matter how, what boneheads we are, and we'll all be boneheads, but let's not make it harder on them than we have to. Let's try to build a, an environment in our relationships, in our home, that makes it easier for a wife to submit to us and to love us and our family well, and doesn't make it harder. Let's commit ourselves to love our wives like Christ loved the church by his grace and help and give ourselves up for them and to sacrifice for our wives and our children so that they can flourish and be the women of God that God has called them to be. Let's not make it harder on them than it has to be. And so, so some of us guys, like you might, you might need to repent to the Lord for the way that you treat your wife and maybe even your mom and other ladies, but you certainly probably need to repent Repent to your wife as well. And ladies, man, this, this is heavy, but it's beautiful. Maybe there is repentance that you need 
to repent of, God, I have tried to find, I've chased a lane of career or family or beauty or all or any number of things or all those together and I've tried to find value outside of that instead of from you and who you say that I am and living from that freely as a free woman of God. Maybe you need to repent to the Lord. Maybe you need to ask him, God, would you, God, I feel unworthy and incapable of doing this. Would you help me? Would you bring me encouragement? Would you fill me with your spirit? Maybe you need to ask your husband or maybe somebody who is here with you or, or maybe someone with the prayer team, God, would you help me? I feel discouraged and beaten down and I don't even know how to be the godly woman that he has called, called me to be. Would you pray with me to help me, that the Lord would help me? And I pray that this week and next week that we as couples, the married couples who are here in this room and a part of this church, that we would see God start to revolutionize our relationships in a way that they would that they would showcase the way Christ loves his church and the church loves Christ in a way that would be that would blow away the cultural norms and would showcase the unique beauty that is found in the body of Christ between a godly woman submitting to her husband by submitting to God or submitting to God by submitting to her husband and by a, a godly husband sacrificing himself for the sake of his wife so that God would be glorified. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.